My daughter Bella and I went down, and it was great having one of my kids be able to go down to Mexico with me. So we're going to do a couple testimonies right now before we turn it over to Mark. After we do these testimonies, I'm going to release the children in the middle school, and the Mark's going to teach. So I've been going down to Mexico for about 20 years now. There's about 100 churches down there that I help serve, and Bella went with me, and it was great having her come down and uh, to see what God did down there. So uh, before she comes up to give the testimony, I just want to say, at the beginning of this year, as a congregation, we determined to fast and pray and ask God to move way beyond what we were seeing. I was so frustrated that there's so much of God to be had, and we were seeing so little, and it's just unacceptable on this side of heaven when it's already been promised to us. I just want to say something to you once again. We have to pray the price. I fasted a three-day water fast this week coming back from Mexico. And I'm not saying that for you to say, oh, wow, isn't Pastor John wonderful? Because if that was my motivation, I just got my reward. And that's not the reward I want. I want God. I want to see the hand of God move in your lives. That's why I was fasting. I, there's some more things I want to see happen. And Jesus said, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. And the reason I told you, I just told you that I fasted three days this week, water fast isn't so you think I'm wonderful, it's to provoke you, to join me, and let's keep it going. Let's keep the pedal to the metal. Because I said, I stood right here and put Jesus' name on the line and said, family of God, if we would not lean on the arm of the flesh, personality, skills, and talent, but if we were to call out to God and fast in prayer, we're going to have testimonies every single Sunday. And do you know we've had testimonies every single Sunday? We even have them in queue right now. We had not had testimonies for months and months and months. And I said, one of the signs that God's on the move is every Sunday we'll have testimonies. You're going to hear two today. I've got them lined up for the next three or four Sundays. Come on. God's on the move in this place. So, Bella, come on up. Here we go. There's a fasting calendar. All you got to do is when you get on our website, the first on the banner, it says prayer. Click on it. Put your name for the March or April fasting calendar and miss a meal. Miss two meals. Miss eating a day just in a week or a month and join this prayer chain and this fasting chain. And let's watch God keep moving. Okay, Bella, what happened down in Mexico? Okay, so like two days before we left for Mexico, I was just in my room praying over the trip and just asking God, you know, if he had anything um, for me or uh, for us as we were going down and just praying over the trip. And I saw, um, I saw actually more than once throughout my prayer time um, just a man with like lower leg um, problems or I, like not specifically just lo- like I knew it was lower leg problems so um going into the trip I just you know kept that in mind and I told him about it and then uh it was the first night of the conference and um it was the altar call for mm-hmm. healing yeah. and uh the first man who walks up uh had lower leg problems and uh that man got healed that night so awesome that's good, yeah, yeah. And guess, and guess who prayed for him? Yeah, I got to take risks. Okay, one more testimony. And I know Mark's, Mark's sitting in his chair getting anxious. 
So come on, Jesse. Let's bring Je let's welcome Jesse Miller. One of the testimonies that we have, I mean, literally, ten of them, promotions, raises, record-breaking sales. It's just beautiful. Jesse's got one of them, huh? Yeah. Come on, man. So uh, most of you know I'm the used car manager at a dealership and. Um, I was praying and asking God because I've never done this job before. It's, it's all new to me. Every day is a new experience, right, Phil? So uh, just praying and asking God. And I want to encourage you with this testimony too. Um, you should be praying and asking God how to do your job better at work. Mm. You know, you, we ask for promotions, but how about how do I do my job better so I can help my company and God will bless that, I promise you. So every day I'm asking God, what do I do? What do I do? And we had this number, 98 cars, I said in, in February, but I wasn't happy with selling 98 cars. Uh, my goal has been at least 100. So I just kept praying and asking God, and the dealerships never sold 98 cars, used cars in a month, going back 20 years. So that was a record. But I just kept praying and asking God, what do I do? So he said, work on the new cars. Make the new cars good and I'll bless you with the used cars don't even worry about used so I just kept doing it I kept helping with the new and we saw 137 cars used cars which just <laughs> blew out of the water yeah man and if you're not in the business it's it's just uh we're usually a store that does 50 to 60 used cars so it's just God that's just God's favor God's blessing and I just give him all the glory awesome hey wait a minute. You know what I love about that was his counterintuitive wisdom, right? You're the used car salesman looking for records in used car, and he told you to bless and focus the new cars. Right. You wouldn't have thought about that. See, that wisdom comes from God, and many times it doesn't make sense, but you obeyed the word of the Lord, and look what happened. That's right. Boom. That's how we know it wasn't you, but God. Amen. Amen. Children in middle school, the next generation, kingdom kids, go grow in God. And let's welcome Mark Halpersmith as he comes and brings a message in our faith series. I said, let's welcome Mark Halpersmith as he comes. So you'll... You'll applaud for some guy that sells a lot of cars, but you won't applaud for an old man with a message for you. Okay, I... Thank you. I've decided to forgive you. We haven't heard the message yet. Whoa. You know, you got to understand, preachers, there's a reason why they take the offering before the message. You know, because if the message is like this, then anyway. Okay, now to get seriously serious. Um, there's this interesting problem that we have when God moves. When God's moving and there's a whole lot of answered prayers, uh, breakthroughs, miracles, coincidences. And we celebrate those things. And we're supposed to celebrate those things. And, and hearing about these things is supposed to raise our faith. 
But at the same time that that is happening, there are many of us who have not received our breakthrough, who are waiting for our breakthrough. And one of the strange things that happens, and we'll understand why in a minute, is that when you're waiting for your breakthrough and it hasn't happened, hearing about somebody else's isn't good news. You see, it should be. The Bible says we're to rejoice with those that rejoice, and we're supposed to weep with those that weep because we're connected, we're a community. But the enemy's agenda for your unanswered prayers is that your faith will decrease and your sense of hopelessness will increase. And the very thing that God's given us to encourage us, which is the wonder of unanswered prayer and seeing his hand on someone's life, becomes the very thing that the enemy uses to cause our faith to decrease and a sense of unworthiness. It's the first thing that happens. What about me? Why, why, why am I still waiting? What have I done wrong? Why doesn't God love me like he loves that person that just told the story? If we shut out all the lights right now and I said, how many of you have ever felt like that? I think all the hands in the room would go up. Because we have felt like that. This message is called the test of time. And time is a test. How to wait well. Is there a biblical pattern to promises and the fulfillment of those promises in the life of a Christian? Is there a biblical pattern to our prayers and the answer to our prayers? And the answer is yes, there is a biblical pattern and it's all over the place. Think about this. Abraham is given a promise to father a great nation. More than 50 years pass before he has a child. He is 100 before the promise is fulfilled. Back in those days, the greatest blessing God could give a family was children. A woman's purpose was to have children. Can you imagine how Sarah felt? Every month goes by and no, no baby. Every year goes by and no baby. A hundred years. As a young man, Joseph has a dream from God of ruling his family. The next thing that happens is he's sold into slavery. He ends up in prison alone and forgotten for years and years and years. Moses is the promised deliverer of Israel. He spends 40 years in the desert alone before his ministry begins. His ministry starts when he's 80 years old. Israel's promised a homeland. They start out to cross the desert to the promised land. People, it's a trip of maybe 11 days. They spend 40 years wandering in the desert. How about Jesus' ministry? How long did Jesus' ministry last? It lasted between one and three years. When did it start? When he was 30. 
the period of delay in his life was ten times, more than ten times longer than the length of his ministry. He receives a supernatural affirmation of his father's love as baptism, and immediately he's led into the desert for 40 days, fasting and ending with spiritual warfare with Satan. And after he's resurrected, he's with his disciples 40 days before he ascends into heaven. And they have to wait seven days for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Forty and seven. Why is the Bible so specific about the number of days? When you look at the Bible, the number 40 is always, always associated with two things. Either a time of preparation or a time of testing. Guess what? Preparation and testing are usually the same thing. And seven is the number of perfection. So God made the church wait the perfect length of time to be prepared for the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit in their lives. See, there's a pattern. And the pattern's simple. Between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise comes the desert. It's the way it's always been, and it's the way it is in our lives. Why? Let's look at this scripture. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it... you got to be kidding. Give, Lord, give me a break. Consider it nothing but joy. Seriously. Because you know that the testing... The delay, the perfect God-ordained delay of your faith produces endurance. In this translation, it's endurance. We could also, it also translates perseverance. And let endurance have, let it, let it, let it. Now that, see, let it. Let it. He's calling for our voluntary cooperation in the purpose that he intends. Let it have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You're not complete and mature until you've been tested. And you haven't been tested until you've suffered with unanswered prayers and unfulfilled promises. Painful as it is, there's a connection between the production of Jesus' character in us enduring and enduring the suffering during a period of waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. You can't have the fullness of his character in you without having to wait for an unfulfilled promise. The Greek word translates perseverance, steadfastness, patient endurance. It means this, the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. The capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Now, why is this? 
The simple fact is that in order to receive the fulfillment of the promises of God that he's made to us, we need to persevere in believing these promises, right? Isn't that faith? Isn't that faith when he's given you a promise and your circumstances say, no, it's not going to happen, and you say, yes, it is going to happen, you're exercising your faith, you're growing in your faith. And these things come to us by faith. Paul says, you know, you've received these spiritual gifts. He says they all come in proportion to the faith that you've received. There's a relationship between the faith you exercise and the gifts that you receive. And that delay is what strengthens our faith. You're thinking, no, it's what destroys my faith. I come so close to giving up. I come so close to just quitting the whole thing because of the unanswered prayer. Because of the delay, I'm just about ready to pack it in. But look, you're still here. You're still here. You showed up today. You haven't packed it in. But you're discouraged. And you can't understand the purpose for the delay. And somebody else is getting their prayers answered and it's wonderful. But what about me? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? Where does my faith come from in the meantime? This is really, really, really hard. Yet we need to persevere. And he's teaching us to persevere. And to continue doing those things that he's called us to do. Here's a, here's a real little word of wisdom. When you don't know what to do because of the delay, keep doing the last thing he told you to do. And sometimes that's all you can cling to is the last thing he told me to do, so that's what I'm going to keep on doing. I remember I went through this very, very dark depression pastoring up in Canada. And I was sitting on the deck of our house looking out at the, at the city. And I said to him, I, uh, I have no passion left. I have nothing left for ministry. I don't like the church. I don't like the people. I don't like myself. You're sort of Okay. Look, if you're going to have a relationship with God, how about that it be honest, okay? Step one, have an honest relationship with God. I said, you're okay, but you've really disappointed me. And I said, I, I don't know why you keep me doing this. Why do you keep me doing this? I have no passion, and it breaks my heart that I've lost my passion for what you've given me to do and, and sort of lost my passion for you. And he asked me a really good question. He said, how much passion did Jesus have the night before he died? How much passion for ministry did Jesus have the night before he died? I thought about it. I said, none. He wanted to quit. He asked you to let him quit. And he said, how much passion for his ministry did he have the morning of his death? And I said, he didn't want to do it. Listen, people, this is what he said to me. He said, I can flip your passion off and on like a light switch. He said, you think it's your passion? He said, it's my passion in you. I can flip it. 
I said, what do you want from me? And he said, what do you like to do for me? And I said, I like to lead worship and I like to teach. And he said, that's all I'm asking of you. Don't worry about anything else. He said, I don't care whether you have passion or not. Just do what I've made you to do. And people, this burden just lifted off. I mean, it was amazing. Because all of a sudden I realized I don't have to be this great person of passion. All I have to do is the last thing he gave me to do. I think that might have been the turnaround. That might have been the beginning. Just do the last thing that he gave you to do. And do it faithfully. Faithfully. Do it faithfully. See, often we measure faith by the strength of our ability to believe. How about we measure it by our consistent obedience despite our doubts? Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll receive a harvest if we don't give up. Why did Paul, why did Paul have to say this? Why did Paul have to say, let's, let's not become tired of doing good, because at the proper time we're going to see the breakthrough if we don't give up. Why did he have to tell us not to give up? Because it's our nature to give up. That's our human weakness. That's the devil's temptation in the delay. And here's the problem. We're stuck in time. We're suffering the test of time. Time is the test. He gives us a promise and our present circumstances, our present moment denies the promise because it hasn't happened yet. And then we experience the test of time. We start to believe it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. Because it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. This is the lie of the enemy he uses to dismantle your faith. It's his principal weapon. Delay is Satan's principal weapon. Now here's God's truth that we have to take hold of. Listen. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet because God has something for us that is more important than the fulfillment of the promise. Can you, can you grab, grab this? And that something is the production of Jesus' character in us. If we can come to terms with this, we're going to be happy people. Is God interested in your comfort? Yes. Is he interested in your character? Which is more important to him? Your character. Your character is more important to him. And if he has to choose in the short run between your comfort and your character, 
He'll choose your character. Why? Thank you. You nailed it. Your comfort's a passing thing. Your character is eternal. Why does it matter that your character is eternal? Listen, now this is going to get me in trouble with a bunch of you people. I know it, and I can accept it. No, it won't, it won't be the first time. I'm good at this. I got this weird view of heaven, all right? Let me give you my weird view of heaven. Yes, the streets are paved of gold. Yes, you will have a mansion. Yours will be bigger than mine. I will clean your swimming pool. But that's not important. That's not what makes heaven special. That's not the reward in heaven. There are rewards in heaven, and yes, it has something to do with physical things. It has something to do with the place. It has something to do with all that, but what it really has to do with is glory. Now listen to this. Let's pretend that you were born in this life on earth as a little mirror. You're a little mirror, but it's not made of glass. It's made of metal. And the purpose of this little mirror, you, is to reflect the glory of God. That's all that matters. But when you were born this little mirror, the surface is rough. Doesn't reflect hardly anything at all. It needs to be polished. It needs to be worked on. It needs to be scraped and polished. What do you use to polish something? You use what they call an abrasive. It's not a happy process for the thing being polished. It's taking the surface off and it's polishing all the hard parts until that becomes so smooth that it begins to reflect whatever is shined upon it more and more brightly and more and more accurately. Your greatest joy when you get to heaven will be how well you reflect the beauty of God. The greatest reward you will have in heaven will not be spatial. It will not be temporal. It will not be about stuff. It will be about how well you reflect his goodness. That's what you get to take into heaven. That's the most important part of your eternal reward. And what's the polishing process? Delay. Unanswered prayers. The character of Jesus produced in you is your eternal reward. He's the reward. It's heaven because he's there. It's heaven because his glory is there. Everything else is just details. God has something more important for us than just the fulfillment of the promise. It's the character of Jesus in us. Okay, so that explains the value of delayed 
fulfillment of promises. Are you with me? Now we can sort of see the purpose. There is a purpose in, in the unanswered prayers. And it has to do with this delay. But delay always brings difficult questions and a terrible temptation. And this is important. Delay, Satan's agenda for the delay is to bring difficult questions and terrible temptation. And here they are. The questions it brings are two. Where is God in this delay and why doesn't he do something about it? Have you ever asked that? Where are you? Where are you and why aren't you doing something about this? Those are the two big questions. Here's the temptation. The temptation is to cease believing one of these two truths. Either that God is all-loving or that God is all-powerful. Anytime we experience real delay and real suffering, we're tempted by the enemy to either believe God is all-loving but he's not very powerful, or God's very powerful, all-powerful, but not very loving. You see the logic? It doesn't matter which one you choose to believe. That's the devil's agenda. You've bought into a lie about the nature of God. We reason if he were both all-powerful and all-loving, this unfulfilled promise wouldn't be happening. So I just should quit believing, either in his love or his power. But this is a lie. The Bible tells us that he's both all-loving and all-powerful. So we're stuck in this horrific dilemma. What's the answer to this dilemma? No, it's hard to trust him. It's hard to trust him because of the delay. That's a good thing to practice. Remember the past. That was Israel's praise liturgy. You know that? All they did was keep track of the great things he did so that they could think about them when they were in the middle of the desert. The answer to this dilemma we see most clearly in the story of Job. When was the last time you read the book of Job? (laughs) Folks, it's legit depressing. (laughs) It is the bummer of the books of the Bible. Bummer of the books of the Bible. It's a triple B. (laughs) Satan comes to God. Now get this. This is really important. Satan comes to God and he says, the only reason people worship you is because you bless them. What Satan is really saying is, God, you're not worthy of loving just for who you are. The only reason anyone would marry you is for your money. That's what he's saying. Now, this is serious because all the angels hear this allegation. And a third of them have already left to rebel against God. There's a lot at stake here. There's a civil war taking place in the heavenlies. And so God has to answer this allegation of Satan that the only reason people follow you is because you bless them. The only reason they love you is because they're getting something from you. So God allows what is absolutely unjust. 
He allows the torture of an innocent and righteous man. And Job suffers unimaginably and he's tempted by his own wife and his friends to either believe that God is not just or that Job has sinned and he's getting what he deserved. So there's only two choices. It's like that all-powerful, all-loving thing. Two choices. Either God is unjust because I'm suffering unjustly because I haven't done anything wrong. Or I have to admit that I've sinned and brought it on myself. But Job's a man of integrity. He knows he hasn't sinned. He hasn't brought it on himself. So he's stuck in this soul-wrenching dilemma. Because he knows neither of these things are true. God is just. And I don't deserve this. So why is it happening? And there is no answer. In the period he's in, in this torture, there is no answer. So the only logical thing to do is turn your back on God and forget the whole thing and die. And that's the best advice his wife can give him. He's got no answer to the question, why is this happening to me? And I'm trying to provide a logical answer for some of you as to why this might be happening to you and it still isn't good enough because you're stuck in time and you're stuck in your circumstances. And you just can't see your way out. But you're still here. You're still here. Now listen to why this is important. The only answer Job has to his dilemma is to find the presence of God. He knows that if he can just come into God's presence, his questions will be answered and he will be vindicated if I can just find God. And that's why you're here. Listen to what Job says. If I only knew where to find him, If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Do you see what he's saying? The answer to his dilemma is coming into the presence of God. If I can just find him. You're still here. You're here today. You're here today. If I can go into his house, if I can just find him. Asaph, the psalmist, comes to the same conclusion in Psalm 73, where he can't stand watching the evil prosper while the just are being destroyed. And he says this, But as for me... My feet had almost slipped. I'd almost lost belief. I'd nearly lost my foothold on standing on the goodness of God. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Ever felt that way? When I tried to understand all this, it was too much. It was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God, until I came into his presence. When I found 
his presence. I found my peace. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. All you have to do is just wait a little longer and you'll see the justice come. Now here's the point. Finally he comes to one of the most profound truths in the Bible and this is the place of true peace. Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. I have nothing but you. But being with you, I don't need or desire anything else. See, Job and Asaph, they're saying the same thing. The answer to our deepest questions and doubt is not a propositional truth. It's a presence. Have you ever had this experience? You have, you have all these questions for God, why things aren't working. And these questions are tormenting you, but you come to church or you have a prayer time or something and he manifests his presence to you and you feel his peace and all of a sudden the questions are irrelevant. Have you ever had that happen? Isn't that the most amazing thing? The thing that was tearing you up and twisting you. The thing that was your present reality. And it was desperate. And it was unknowing. And it was confused. And it was dark. And the enemy was whispering lies to you every moment of this experience. And you finally come into the presence of God. And all of a sudden it's like, what was that about? What? What? I don't even care about that. Once you're with him, most stuff doesn't matter. The answer to the delay is his presence, not a propositional truth. If I can get into his presence, I'm going to be okay. In the presence of God, the question is no longer of concern. The doubt is no longer relevant. And I've experienced this, and it's my present experience. When I seek his presence, not for an answered prayer, but just to find him and be with him, I find that I can survive the waiting. I find the peace I desperately need. Now, here's the truth, people, for every single person in the room. And you can get all religious on me and say it's not true, but it's true. Everyone in this room, we all married him for his money. We all married him for what he can do to change our circumstances. And guess what? This is a good reason to come to him. But our peace and joy depend on going far beyond what have you done for me lately. Our greatest peace and joy will come as we begin to value him for who he is and not just for what he gives. A marriage based on I'm marrying you for your money is no marriage at all. A relationship with God based on what have you done for me lately is no relationship at all. It's a business deal. And unanswered prayers and unfulfilled promises. 
prompt us to examine our relationship with him and to change our heart's motives for why we pursue him. Because the bottom line is this, knowing him really is the reward. Knowing him is heaven. Heaven is here now. Jesus is here now. He's all around us. Heaven is here now because he's here. And if I can find him, I have every peace that I need. I have everything that I need. Close your eyes. Let's do this together. I want you to take your present concern, your unanswered prayer, the delay. And I want you to be honest and face it. I want you to imagine that you can take it and you can hold it in your hands. You can take this unanswered prayer. You can take this this anxiety. You can take this worry. You can take this fear. You can reach inside yourself and you can take hold of it. And you can pull it out and you can hold it in your hands. Now I want you to imagine Jesus standing in front of you. He's in front of you. You've found his presence. You're with him. Now take hold of this fear, this delay, this unanswered prayer and give it to him. Just give it to him. Watch what he does with it. What does he say to you? What do you say to him? Now he takes peace from inside himself. He takes peace. And he says, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. And he hands you his peace. Take it. Just reach out and take it. And he breathes on you. My peace I give to you. Not the way the world gives peace. Which is perfect circumstances. I give you my peace. And he breathes on you. How do you feel? 
Let's end with worship. Man, people, the best thing we can do is worship him. Get in his presence. Thank you, Mark. How good was that? You know, Mark, um, I want to tell you a confirmation before we go into worship. And I do this simply so that we recognize that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating our gatherings so our faith rises. This morning I was meditating on the fact that we were going to receive communion together today as a spiritual community. And the scripture that came into my heart was 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, which is that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into his image. And I thought, what's that have to do with communion? I'm not seeing the connection. I wish I had followed the leading of the Holy Spirit because that was your message about the mirror. And when we receive communion, we're connecting with his presence. And in his presence, we become more like him. So I missed it. That's okay. Amen. He said it's okay. So I feel better about me now. But that just shows that the Lord is in his speaking to us. And so we can have faith that he is transforming us. And the glory of God is peace and joy and faith and hope and all those things that we all crave. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you for leading and guiding this church, this spirit-led church. We're so grateful and so thankful for who you are and what you do here. Now, in two weeks, we have our Easter service, and a lot of people go to church on Christmas and Easter, so it's a real opportunity for us. Uh, so I want to encourage you to be bold. When I was down in Mexico, we were in an outdoor amphitheater. There were probably, I don't know, maybe 700, 800 people there all around, taxi cab drivers and police officers and just people milling around in the outdoor square and then probably about 500 believers were there and, and uh, I preached the gospel the good news Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins and then God raised him from the dead broke the power of death, hell and the grave now he's sitting with the Father and he's calling and drawing every individual on the planet if you say yes to him he'll receive you and completely forgive your sins freely and you'll have an interest into heaven by faith in him that right there is the good news. That whole thing I just said is simply, that's the gospel message. And it's amazing to me how, how that literally, that message literally changes a person's destiny from hell to heaven. Paul said that message right there, that simple message is foolishness to the Greeks. Those who are looking for some difficult philosophy to unpack. It's foolishness because it's so simple and childlike. And it's a stumbling block to religious people because they're trying to earn their way to heaven. He said, but to those who believe it, it is the power of God to salvation. And so Bella and I were down there, and I gave that simple message. And then I called for people to come down. Nobody came at first, and that's embarrassing because you feel like a fool. And you're standing there in front of hundreds of people. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, Jesus, please have somebody come down for me. No. Sort of. And then one came down. I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and then another came down. And then another. And then another. And then another. And then another. And another. And another. 
We ended up about 30 people down there. It, it, it staggers me to see people's lives transformed by such a simple message. But you see, the gospel message is the power of God to salvation. The Holy Spirit draws people. But we have a part to play in it. Jesus said, go out to the highways and the byways and compel people to come into my house, that my house would be full. He won't do it without us. It's a partnership. So I'm going to encourage you over the next two weeks. And I don't care if it's somebody that you think would never come to God. That's probably the person that's the closest because they're the lostest. They're the most spiritually desperate and empty. That's why they behave the way they do. They're usually the closest. You're in my part is to step out and just invite them and pray for them. Really target them. Target them. Every day, pray for them that their eyes would be open, their hearts would be soft, and that they'd believe the glorious gospel. And then invite them. Say, hey, why don't you come with me? We'll grab breakfast beforehand or lunch afterwards. And convenience yourself for the salvation of someone else. And what if they came and what if they got saved? Just what if? How awesome would you feel about you? (laughs) You would no longer have the testimony that I've never led somebody to Christ. You would be part of the chain. I thank God for the person that invited me. They harassed me until I came. And 30 years later, here I am still still preaching because I believe it to the core of my being. It's the power of God to salvation. So, once we all stand and let's thank God as Mark so brilliantly preached today. Let's just worship Him for who He is right now. Just for who He is. He's all loving and He's all powerful. Forget about what you need right now. And let's just worship Him for who He is. The church is concluded officially right now. So you can slip out when you want. I'm going to encourage you not to do it right now unless you have to. Just spend a couple moments worshiping Him for who He is. And if you've got to slip out, do. If you have children, you've got a couple minutes. A couple. Don't get me in trouble with the children's workers. Let's just worship Him for who He is. You're welcome to slip. You're welcome to stay. We're just going to keep worshiping. God, thank you so much for putting that word in Mark's mouth because we needed it. Such a great word to end the faith series we preached for three months. That was so needed and so important. Thank you, God, that you are all loving and all powerful. Will you say that with me? Thank you, God, that you are all loving and all powerful. Say it one more time. Thank you, God, that you are all loving and all powerful. Josh, lead us in one song. Would you?